0: everybody and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju guy. So what's up, everybody? How's everyone doing on this fine day? Uh, today is a special day for me. This is my two-year anniversary episode for the podcast. Not like when I started doing official episodes and stuff like that. This is the two-year anniversary of whenever I posted my original introduction episode, um, just titled uh, "History of a Fan," which is like my third most listened-to episode, and all of that. Um, yeah, it's it's been a heck of a little of a little journey. I've I've enjoyed this immensely and it, it's kind of hard for me to believe that I've, I've been doing this for two years and that I've done at least one episode a week for two years. Um, yes, due to like things with my mental health and all of that kind of stuff, there was a time where I, I had a, um, a pretty rough like day or two or something like that uh well it was more than just a day or two where I thought about calling it quits and I was like you know I'm done uh there for a while like I remember having a conversation with a uh, Kid Kong and all of that that my passion just wasn't here anymore and all of that but I was going through a pretty rough time during that time and I thought about calling it quits but I got over that little hill and I've been doing it ever since, and I've, I've pretty much refound my passion for the podcast and all of that, and yeah, I'm not planning on quitting <laughs> anytime soon. Um, yes, uh, you know, like like I've talked about numerous times, eventually I am going to run out of content and run out of, like, actually movies to talk about and all of that kind of stuff, and uh, it'll pretty much just be my little diehard listeners that hang around to, uh, still listen to the show and listen to me talk about like graphic novels and things like that. But I've still got a few movies to go before I, uh, before I call it quit some big name movies and we got some big name movies that's still coming out and all of that kind of stuff. So it's still going to be a little while before I, um, before I really tone down with the, uh, the Kaiju stuff, but I have an announcement to make at the end of this episode, and so stick around for that, and it'll just be like, you know, future content and things like that that I'm going to talk about, but yeah, I I can remember first starting this podcast. I can't remember exactly how it came about. I was texting Kid Kong, and something happened like we got on the subject of podcasts and stuff like that and I told you guys before that I pretty much always wanted to do a YouTube channel and not necessarily just to talk about kaiju and stuff like that but I wanted to talk about movies the same kind of stuff that I talk about on here I wanted to do a YouTube channel about that just about any kind of movie or anything and he and I was just talking about it one day and talking about how maybe I need to stick to a specific genre or something like that instead of just talking about anything that I want. And we got on the subject of podcasts and I said something along the lines of like, yeah, that'd be like me like starting a, a Godzilla podcast just to talk about Kaiju and stuff like that. And the more I got to thinking about it, the more it was I was like, well, heck, why don't I do that? <laughs> because, you know, YouTube intimidated the fire out of me and it's still, it's still a boss of a platform to try and get onto. Um, you know, I've been on YouTube for quite a few months now and I've only got like 50 something subscribers and like 20 videos and all of that kind of stuff. And the results for YouTube have not near been as good as the results for the podcast there's been some videos that I've posted that's been up for three or four months and they still only have like fourteen views or something like that you know it's just it it was an entirely different ball game um but i'm I'm trying to work in my head on things that I can do to make the YouTube a little bit better and all of that and I firmly believe that if I would have started with YouTube that I probably would have just been like you know what this isn't for me content creating is obviously more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And I would have just walked away from it. But I decided to go with podcasting because one, it's, it's way easier, extremely easier. Like, I mean, you don't have to worry about camera angles. You don't have to worry about visual stimulation and all of that kind of stuff. You literally just hit record, start talking. If you want to edit anything out, edit it out and then post and boom, it's done. Simple as that. And so that's one reason why I went with podcasting. And then also just the more I went to looking at it, that with how popular podcasts were and that they were popping up left and right and all of that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, well, you know, there is a big boom for podcasts right now. Um, You know, like it just, it made sense for me to, to start this. And it was just one of those things where it's like, I'm very knowledgeable about this particular genre. So I love it. I love talking about it. Um, I don't get to find a whole lot of fans to talk about it with me. So I was like, well, if I can't find anybody to talk about it with me, I'll just simply record myself talking about it and boom, let anybody listen to it. that want to listen to it. And if they want to start conversations, they can message me on any of my various social medias that I have. So yeah, that's a Pretty much what happened. I recorded my original introduction episode in my truck because, um, I can't remember why, to be honest with you. I think it was in the evening time. And Emily was inside. She was doing this, she was doing that, and all that kind of stuff. I stepped outside to smoke because I do smoke cigarettes. And, um,. Stepped outside to smoke, and I was sitting there trying to. I'd already come up with the name, I'd come up like I'd created my account and all of that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I just need to record, like you know. And I'd been working on like what I was gonna do, I'd worked on the concept of like doing the OGs of Kaiju Saga that I did and all of that stuff. But I didn't want to just jump into like, hey, everybody, here's this guy that nobody's ever heard of before, and I'm gonna talk about King Kong. So I'm like, I I feel like I need to do an introduction episode. And so while I was out there, I was just basically like, to heck with it. I'm going to go ahead and knock it out. So I just, you know, got in my truck so that, um, I didn't have to come in and like tell Emily because she was doing things in the kitchen and the living room and she was going back and forth, like, you know, into the bedroom and all of that. There wasn't really going to be a spot in the house where I could be like, Hey, I'm just going to hole up in here for like 20 minutes. So I just went out to the truck and, um, like, okay, let's do it. And I hit record and just started talking, gave everybody a basic idea what the podcast was going to be about. And now here we are two years later, two years later with nearly 150 episodes, nearly 13,000 total listens. A Facebook page with 3,000 followers. A Godzilla Ultima fan page with uh, nearly 700 followers. My Instagram account, whenever I started this, um, I really only started messing with Instagram, like messing with it like kaiju-wise and all of that uh, about a year ago. Uh, I already had an Instagram account, but i created it years ago and just never really messed with it or anything like that. And so when I'm like, Hey, I'm going to start using Instagram to, uh, kind of promote the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And in the year that I've been doing that, I've pretty much gone, I went from, I had originally like 30 followers and now I'm sitting at 300. So, (laughs) and I've not done, I have not paid a dime for any kind of marketing or, you know, boosting or anything like that for the Instagram it's just strictly me sharing things, using hashtags and people being like, Hey, I want to check that guy out. And so now I have a decent little following on Instagram and all of that. So that's pretty cool. And then eventually jumped to, uh, TikTok, which I've only been messing with TikTok for, you know, probably about six months or so. And I created it solely to mess with the kaiju stuff. So I literally created the TikTok and went from zero followers to I've got like a hundred or something like that, give or take. And uh, yeah, so this has definitely been a journey. Um, I've made some friends that has gone beyond just simply the kaiju stuff. Like I've become friends with them on my personal social media pages and all of that. And we like and comment on each other's like, oh, here's this movie I'm going to see this weekend and all that kind of stuff. You know, we just, we've we've basically become legit friends and all of that. So yeah, this has been one heck of a journey. Very, very happy with the results. Very happy to be here. Not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. And yeah, just super, super thrilled in all of that. So, alright guys, I know that was one heck of an intro, but uh, you know, this is my two year anniversary celebratory episode and all of that kind of stuff. And as you guys know, I like to use Kong as landmark episodes because Kong is my favorite kaiju and all of that. And so today I am talking about one of the more popular entries in the King Kong franchise, as well as just the kaiju genre in general. And I'm talking about the 2017 film, Kong Skull Island. Now, whenever that film, whenever this film first, like, was starting to get buzz and all that kind of stuff, I was excited like there is no tomorrow. I could not wait for it. I was that dude to where, like, every single interview every single blog post every single anything that was being posted in magazines new posters behind the scenes images and things like that anything that was popping up I was all about I was jumping on it I was reading reading it I was looking at it and all that kind of stuff I was super super excited for this movie because we had not gotten a Kong film since 2005 by the time this movie came out in 2017 and so yeah I was very very happy I was very very excited um I remember just like finding out little itty bitty things here and there about the film and all that like hey a new Kong movie's coming like that's great I'm very excited for this and then I'm gonna go into more detail with this later on but you know, oh, Universal's going to be doing it, and it's going to be a reboot of the franchise, and nope, never mind, it's going back to Warner Brothers, because, um, there's going to be a crossover with Godzilla, we're going to get the biggest rematch of all time, and all of that kind of stuff, like, everything about this movie leading up to it, I was super excited, super pumped, my friends get so sick and tired of listening to me talk about Kong and all of that. Like, I just, I was very, very excited. Went to go see it opening night, me and my brother. And um, I love this movie. I adore it. Yes, it is a little cheesy here and there. Yes, it does have some, there are some parts of the movie where I kind of scratch my head at and be like, yeah, that, that's a little weird or uh, they could have done something. Uh, A little bit different with that and all that kind of stuff. But overall, this is one of my favorite Kong movies. It's one of my favorite kaiju movies. I own it on DVD. I own it on Blu-ray. I own the digital version on my voodoo. Like, (laughs) you know, like I own own the novelization. I own the tie-in graphic novel that came out with it. I own numerous Kong figures from this movie and all of that kind of stuff, like, I've got a lot of merchandise and things like that concerning this film, and yeah, so, all right, guys, uh, let's, uh, I've rambled on for a little over 15 minutes now, so let's go ahead and cut to the chase and start talking about Kong, Skull Island. Now, this film's got a history. Like, it it had many different writers, it had lots of different concepts and things like that, Um, went through numerous changes before it eventually settled on what we actually got. Now, originally, whenever this film was going to be done by Universal, it was originally pitched as a 2005 sequel, and it was pitched by Peter Jackson. And it was going to be a sequel to his film that was uh, done in 2005. And Peter Jackson actually handpicked Adam Wingard to be the director of the film. And we all know that Adam Wingard is the guy who directed uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. That just came out last year at the time of this recording. And at some point he also suggested that Guillermo del Toro would have been a good idea to direct the Kong reboot, and all of that. So, um, now, naturally, whenever I say it was going to be happening at Universal, I believe all of those, like, little pitches and things like that was happening whenever Warner Brothers was still going to be doing the Kong reboot. But then it got shifted, and Legendary Pictures had a contract with Warner Brothers, and they, you know, they were doing films with them. Well, then they fil- they signed a contract with Universal, and I believe that that was going to last for five years. And so, the movie moved to Universal. They were going to be distributing it but at the time whenever they actually announced it at the 2014 San Diego Comic-Con. Um, Universal was going to be distribute- distributing the film and all of that. But, Mind you, this is all of this is taking place after the 2014 Godzilla film came out, which was done by Legendary Pictures and distributed by Warner Brothers. Well, then somebody had the bright idea and said, why are we doing this with Universal when we can do it with Warner Brothers, create this shared universe... In which Godzilla and Kong coexist in the same universe, and we could actually build up to and lead up to the biggest rematch of all time—Godzilla versus Kong—that we have not seen since nineteen sixty-two. And so things were shifted around a little bit, and they yes, Legendary Pictures still had a contract with um, Universal. But with this particular franchise, they said like we're going to uh, stick with Warner Brothers so that we can do the crossover material and all of that. So that's what ended up happening. And the director would the um, director for the film eventually would be Jordan Roberts. Now, when it came time, but uh, Jordan Roberts had not yet been announced to be the director. Now, whenever it came time to actually write, uh, write the film and get ready for it and all that, they reached out to an individual by the name of Max Borenstein. Now, this guy had written the story, screenplay, script, whatever, you know, the, the basic premise and all of that kind of stuff of the 2014 Godzilla film. Now, they reached out to him because they actually wanted him to, like, we need you to put elements into this film that can tie it into the 2014 film so that they absolutely like can coexist into the same universe and all of that. So he wrote the initial draft. And whenever he was writing the initial draft, there were numerous things that he wanted to get rid of that Kong had pretty much become known for at the time, and they were basically like, no, I, I think we've we've moved past this. We don't need this anymore, and so we're we're going to go away from that. Some of the things that he decided to move away from was the whole Beauty and the Beast angle. Uh, that was very much popularized in the 1933 film. It was somewhat still present in the sequel, Son of Kong. It was very much present in the 70s Kong again somewhat still present in King Kong Lives the sequel to that film and also still kind of somewhat present in the Toho produced Kong films and he just wanted to get away from that he's like it's a it's a tired trope it's been done too many times it's way too synonymous with Kong and the beauty and the beast the girl and all of that kind of stuff like he he just wanted to get away from that Not only did he want to get away from just the whole thing about like Kong having this deal of like wanting to protect a woman or something like that or being obsessed with a woman. He wanted to get away from the whole damsel in distress thing because, you know, we're in the modern age. Women are more than in movies and just in general and all that. Women are much more than just a plot point. Like, oh, this poor defenseless girl needs saving and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We're very much in an age which, you know, I mean, it's been going on for a while. There are some very iconic female action stars and all of that. But we're very much in an age of portraying women as very, very capable characters that are not constantly in need of saving. And so he wanted to move away from the whole damsel in distress thing. And the other thing that he wanted to move away from was the portrayal of the natives that was going to be in this film. Because in all the films prior to this one, the natives were, well, maybe not necessarily the 1962 uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, but in the original Kong, they were pretty much portrayed as, in the end, they kind of help the... um, good guys I don't want to call them bad guys but they pretty much helped the good guys of the film in which you know hey Kong's about to bust through this wall so we need to team together or work together uh temporarily and all that kind of stuff so they did and in the 2005 they're they're very much like barbaric savages and all of that um in the 1962 film while they were very helpful, like after things, after the initial visit and they're like, okay, these guys ain't so bad. They gave us some, uh, you know, some gifts and all of that kind of stuff. Um, there's a movement currently in, uh, today's day and age that I found out about three weeks ago, I would say. Um, there's a movement to get the natives in the 1962 King Kong versus Godzilla film, Removed from the film or edited slash altered in some kind of way, because essentially it's actors in blackface, and i don't I should not have to explain why Blackface is offensive and should not be done, but you know at the time it was a different time they made the movie, they put the actors in Blackface and all that and As a lot of things are going on here in the modern age, 2022, soon moving into 2023, there are many things that was done back in those days that have been deemed very, very offensive and corrections are starting to be made. And that's one of the things that is currently on the radar to where there's a movement to try and get it uh, corrected and all of that. But anywho, yeah, uh, Borenstein absolutely wanted to like not have the natives just be barbarians, did not want them to be portrayed as savages, absolutely did not want them to be portrayed as like very offensive, an offensive take on Islanders and all of that. So his initial draft that he came up with, those were the major changes that he made and all of that. So it is what it is. And as far as like the actual narrative is concerned, there was one thing in particular that he was basically like, I want this movie to be kind of like this. And the main inspiration for this film was Apocalypse Now. For those of you that have not seen Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now is a Vietnam War movie starring, starring uh, Marlon Brando and Michael Sheen in which... um. It's very much like an adventure movie where Michael Sheen's character is trying to find Marlon Brando's character and all of that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of like, you know, it takes place on a river, like helicopter battles and all of that kind of stuff. And so this movie was heavily inspired by Apocalypse Now. The only thing was, was like, yeah, he wanted like the Apocalypse Now theme and all of that. But keep in mind, you know, that he wanted the Apocalypse Now theme. So the film is going to be taking place during Vietnam but he's got to tie it into the present day somehow because they have to work towards a crossover with Godzilla and it's already been stated you know with the 2014 film that Godzilla you know that takes place in the modern day. And so like they had to somehow work it into um the present day and so originally this film was going to start in Vietnam like in the Vietnam War like it did and it was going to wrap up in the present that ended up getting rejected by the studio they're like no we don't really care for like it's it's cool that like it starts in Vietnam but we don't like that there's such a massive like it just keeps going and going and going not necessarily a time jump but that it goes all the way into the present day, and they just did not care for that. During the time that they're coming up with this part, this uh, particular story and all of that, there was going to be two very major key differences between two characters in this film. The first one was the character portrayed by the insufferable Brie Larson. Yes, you guys heard that correctly. I am not a Brie Larson fan. I have never been a Brie Larson fan. It has nothing to do with her being portrayed as like Captain Marvel and all that. I have disliked that woman long before that. She is, you know, in my opinion, she is a very arrogant person. She is a very self-centered person. She thinks she carries more weight than what she actually does in the films that she's been in um, one thing in particular that really ticked me off that she said that, I mean, I already wasn't very fond of her, but then whenever she got cast as Captain Marvel and, and all of that stuff and like, oh, my Captain Marvel movie is coming out and all that kind of, and she did an interview where it's like, you know, finally, like, there's going to be a superhero that little girls are going to be able to look up to. And the fact that I'm portraying this character is such a great honor that little girls are going to be able to look up to me. And the whole time she's sitting there talking about it and all that, I'm like, did you just completely skip the Wonder Woman movie that came out a good while before your Captain Marvel movie? Like, you're not all that in a bag of chips, lady. But yeah, I'm not a fan of her. She's, um... easily one of the down points of this movie for me. Now, if you are a fan of Brie Larson, more power to you. Everyone's entitled to their opinions, but just keep in mind, I I just, I do not like that woman. I don't, and I don't ever see myself liking that woman. But anywho, her character in this film um, was pretty different originally. You know, in this movie... Which the whole reason that she signed on to the film was because she liked the idea that she wasn't going to be playing a damsel in distress. It was 100% like she's very capable on her own. Which I have no problem with that type of character generalization. I just really wish they had found a different actress to portray it. But anywho, that's why she signed on. But in the original draft, she was supposed to be like beaten down and broken by the time she shows up for the first time in the movie like she had seen too much war she had taken too many photographs of war she didn't believe in anything she was very much just like whatever and whenever they're going to Skull Island yes it very much was a like oh we're gonna you know kind of like how it was in this movie she's like They're hiding something. At the end of the day, she is a journalist. She is a photographer. And so she's like, I'm definitely going to see what's going on. And when she gets there and sees Kong, she experiences somewhat of a reawakening. And it's one of those things to to where like not everything in the world is all bad. Because she does develop a relationship with Kong in the movie. Other than Kong like stomping on people or uh, slamming his fist on the people and all that she is the only, her character is the only person that kong actually allows to touch him like she makes actual contact with him and he was okay with it everyone else that he touches he either stomps on them or he punches them into the ground like <laughs> you know that's just all it is to it so <clears throat> like a little bit of her like regaining faith in life and humanity and all that is still somewhat present by her seeing Kong for the first time and just her experiences with Kong throughout this film. Now, the other major change was going to be Tom Hiddleston. Now, everyone knows that in this film, Tom Hiddleston is, he's a tracker, he holds no allegiance to anyone or anything like that, Um, in the novelization to the film, it actually, there's a lot of extra things in the novelization that was going to be in this movie, but they cut it for budget reasons and time constraints and all of that kind of stuff, but it is explained that the reason he is the way that he is is because there was a failed mission in which he could not save some people from a sniper, and so he's just kind of ticked off at the world at this point, you know, just one of those things to where like, I failed these people and I'm upset with myself because of it. But originally he was going to play a character that wanted to go to Skull Island to lead a rescue mission to try and find his brother. And not only to find his brother, but to find something that was kind of like some kind of serum or some kind of medicine or something like that that had something to do with the titans that could cure all illnesses and that was his driving point to go to skull island it was not like it was in the final movie where he was sought out and like hey we need you to come to skull island with us so that you can help us survive whenever he found out that there was an expedition going to skull island he pretty much went to them and was like, I'm coming with you. And so that was pretty much the uh, the two major differences between uh, some of those characters. Now, I told you guys just a little while ago that the whole thing in Vietnam and beginning in Vietnam, ending in the present day, it got rejected. So the next thing that they decided to go with with the script was that it was going to be a prequel to... The original King Kong film, not necessarily a prequel, but it was going to take place before the original King Kong film uh, in World War One, And it was still going to have the Apocalypse Now concept, just instead of taking place in Vietnam, it's in World War I. And it was going to take place in 1917. And I'm sorry, I got I got things a little i got a little bit ahead of myself it was during this concept that tom hiddleston was going to have the character development of searching for his brother and trying to find the the medicine and and all of that kind of stuff but um yeah that that just didn't they were like no 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 we don't care for it and all of that kind of stuff it was at that point that the eventual director of the mo- of the movie uh jordan roberts was brought on board. And so he went to to work with Max Borenstein, and they're like, okay, let's look at some stuff, let's see what we're going to do. And he really, really liked the Apocalypse Now concept. So let's move it back to Vietnam. We're not going to mess with World, World War One. Let's move it back to Vietnam, and we can use the Apocalypse Now concept. We can keep it in Vietnam. We don't necessarily have to jump all the way into the present day but we can tie it to the current monsterverse thing by the ending of the film by insinuating that it will kong will still be around in the present day and all that kind of stuff and that's how we ended up getting the end credit scene that we got that you know monarch is around well monarch was already established uh towards the beginning of the film but that They know that Titans are among us. You see pictures of like the cave drawings of Godzilla, Mothra, um, King Ghidorah, and all of that kind of stuff. And pretty much like that's going to be our tease to lead up to it. Now, Kong is, uh, you know, I'm going to get into this later on. um, Later on in the episode. But Kong is much smaller than Godzilla by this point in the movie. And that was a point of contention. With a lot of fans whenever this movie was first coming out. And his size was pretty much released. Oh, he's going to be a 100 foot tall ape. And so people were like, how is a 100 foot tall ape possibly going to go up against like a 300 plus tall Godzilla? You know, like that's a pretty big size difference. And so people were just kind of like, well guys, you know, this movie is taking place in 1973 Like, it's going to be a little while till we get to the present day and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, just give us some time. And that's why there are parts in the script that's worked in where we hear John C. O'Reilly's character at some point say, Kong is still growing. Just to let everyone know that eventually they are going to fight. It's going to be years and years later and that Kong is still growing and getting bigger. And getting bigger, he did indeed. So, the script rewrites began after the studio was like, okay, we're okay with that. That that sounds like a good concept. We'll go with that. And so, Borenstein wrote the first script. And then that's whenever the rewrites came, because there's always rewrites whenever it comes to scripts and all of that kind of stuff. And there were numerous rewrites whenever it came to this script. And after everything was done, again, to keep it tied into um, the MonsterVerse so that it can work together uh, to tie in with the Godzilla film and all of that kind of stuff, um, I'm sorry, I lost my place, (laughs) um, They did a final pass on the script to make sure everything was good and like, okay, we're not creating any plot holes or anything like that. And and after doing that final pass on the script to basically be like, okay, we're good. We're good to go. When it came time, like, okay, well, who's going to get writing credits for this? They gave credit to every single person that had written any of the scripts. Borenstein, Roberts, all the other people that did rewrites and added this and added that. And because they said the end result was like this thing that had multiple hands in it. We cannot credit just one person for writing this. And I thought that that was very, very cool that they did that. Like, I I was very, like, uh, that's, yeah, like, to give credit to every single person and all of that kind of thing. that's just, that's really awesome. So we have our story, we're good to go, so now it's time to move on to casting. Now originally, there was a different person in talks to play Packard before Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm curious to see how this would have worked out or how it would have came about or anything because I'm very, very pleased that we got Samuel L. Jackson. I'm a big fan of Samuel L. Jackson. I've never seen the man have a bad performance and all of that kind of stuff. So he was obviously very, very good with um, playing Packard. But the original actor that they had in mind to play Packard was J.K. Simmons. Like that, I think that that would have been very, very interesting. I would have liked to have seen how that could have worked out and all of that. And so J.K. Simmons was in talks to play Packard, but eventually he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts and all of that. There was another individual that came pretty close to playing a character in this film that, again, I'm very, very interested to see how it came about or how it would have come about Um like I'm very interested, like i I part of me kind of wishes that this one happened just so I could be like man how how would that have worked out, and all that kind of stuff. The character of Marlowe that was played by John C. O'Reilly before they got John C. O'Reilly, none other than Batman himself, Michael Keaton, was in talks to play the character of Marlowe, but just like with j k. Simmons, he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts, and so for both of those characters. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was cast and John C. Riley was cast. In an interview that Samuel L. Jackson did, he openly talked about that whenever they uh, just even brought him the concept. Like, hey, we're doing a, a King Kong movie. And he's like, I'm in. And he said later on he found out that he was their second choice. And he's like, I don't care. I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing it. Like, he was very pumped to do this role and all that. And I think he absolutely nailed the role and all of that stuff. At the same time that Roberts was announced to be the director of the film, that's whenever Tom Hiddleston was announced to be the the male lead in the film, and then just as things would go on, you know, various points in pre-production and all of that, other people were announced, okay, this guy's going to be in it, this guy's going to be in it, and there was no other really Like, oh, we're going to get this guy, oh no, scheduling conflicts, oh, I'm sorry, this and that, like, bye-bye, and, you know, we have to recast, like, er everyone else just kind of, it flowed really well, and anyone else who was hired, they pretty much just, you know, stuck with it, though I do wish Brie Larson could have been recast. Um, And then it came time for the casting of Kong himself, and we get an individual by the name of Terry Notary, Notary, uh, we'll go with Notary. We'll say that's how we pronounce his last name because I'm not entirely sure. He performed the motion capture for Kong, and he already had a decent amount of experience with doing motion capture. He played uh, Rocket in the Planet of the Apes uh, franchise, like, you know, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and all that kind of stuff. So he already had some experience in portraying an ape. And I've heard, I heard this years ago, that he's actually friends with Andy Serkis. Because obviously Andy Serkis played Caesar. Uh, the motion capture for Caesar in the Planet of the Apes films. And whenever Terry was uh, he got the role for Kong. He actually felt bad and went to Serkis. Because Andy Serkis did the motion capture for King Kong. In the 2005 Peter Jackson film. And he actually went to Andy Serkis. And he's like. Man I'm sorry. like He, he felt guilty. He was like. I feel like I kind of stole one of your roles. And Andy Serkis is like, dude, he's like, this is a business. You know, he's like, yeah, I loved playing Kong. He said, but I don't own (laughs) the role of Kong. He said, I think you're going to nail it. So I don't know about the legitimacy of that. I can't remember what I heard it from or what source it was from and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, just just throwing that out there. So, all right, time for the creature designs for this movie. First up, we're going to talk about the Skullcrawler. Now, if you ever looked at the Skullcrawler and thought, that thing looks kind of familiar, there's a reason for that. First of all, the actual original basis for the Skullcrawler comes from the 1933 original film from something called a pit monster. Whenever Kong, they're trying to cross the bridge and he like flips the log over and a bunch of them fall down and all of that kind of stuff, um, <clears throat> you see this... Two-armed serpent-slash-lizard-like thing crawling up the side of a mountain, and it looks very much like a skull crawler, but, you know, that's pretty much its only appearance and all of that kind of stuff, but yes, like, that was one of the main inspirations that the skull crawler had was from that pit monster from the original 1933 film. And the director of the film also said that the Skullcrawler in particular, some inspirations for it were as follows. The First Angel from Evangelion, No-Face in Spirited Away, and Cubone from Pokemon. So... It's kind of a mixture of multiple things that nerds like us have seen over the years and all of that. So yeah, again, if you ever looked at a skull crawler and you're like something about it looks familiar but I can't quite place it, that's why. <laughs> so, just throwing that out there. Now, as far as Kong, whenever it came time to like, well, what's he going to look like? What kind of mentality is he going to have? Like what's our take? On Kong going to be and all of that? Like, are we going to stick with the version that Peter Jackson did, which he was basically just a giant silverback gorilla? Like, what are we going to do? And so, ultimately, they decided to go back to the original 1933 design and have him just basically be this upright standing, bipedal creature and all of that to where, like, he doesn't move like a gorilla. Like, it was one thing in particular that the director would tell The designers, whenever they're trying to do Kong and all that, like, he is, like, he needs to look like an ape, but he is not a gorilla. Like, that, he was very, very adamant of, do not just make him an upright gorilla. Because, yes, he looks like an ape, he somewhat looks like a gorilla, I think he kind of looks more like a chimp than a gorilla, but he wanted to, like, really hammer it home. Do not make him look like a gorilla. So, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, in case you guys missed it, he does not look like a gorilla. (laughs) But, yeah, so they decided to make him upright, be bipedal, not really move or act like a general ape, like walking on all fours or anything like that. He pretty much stays on just his hind legs throughout the entire film. Other than a few times where, you know, like he's fighting and stuff like that. Uh, there is a scene whenever he first shows up and he's fighting the choppers, like he takes off running and he has very much like a human run. Like you see the way he's running and it's like, no, that's just a big guy. That's like, you know, he's running about the same kind of way that, uh, a human would run and all of that kind of stuff, which was undone in 2021. With uh, Godzilla vs Kong, where after he gets brought to the Arctic and they go down into the hollow earth, they have him moving like a, you know, traditional ape and running on all fours like an ape and all of that kind of stuff. So the whole idea that they went with with this film was kind of undone by Mr. Wingard in Godzilla vs Kong, which I'm not gonna get into that. You guys have heard enough of my complaints about the lame brain decisions that I believe Mr. Wingard made concerning Kong and all of that which again if I ever meet the guy face to face I would absolutely love to have a conversation with him about some of the decisions that he made not really in an accusation type kind of way but just like I want to pick his brain I want to sit there and be like why did you do what you did like (laughs) you know like I just I just want to talk to the guy that that's it you know I'll be respectful Uh, so if anybody knows Mr. Wingard or Mr. Wingard, if you ever listened to, uh, this podcast, I would love to talk to you like just, just throwing that out there. It'll be civil. I swear. But anywho, um, also one of the main inspirations for this film was the animated film, Princess Mononoke, a lot of the creature designs and all of that kind of stuff, and, the way the creatures interacted in their environment and all that kind of stuff in Princess Mononoke very much inspired the way a lot of the creatures act in this film as well as their overall designs. <clears throat> now, the film comes out. It was, it got pretty decent reviews. It currently sits at a 69% approval rating for critics and it sits at a, uh, I'm sorry, a 75% uh, approval rating for critics and a sixty nine percent approval rating for the audience score and all of that on voodoo out of five stars it has a a general you know like average of four point thirty four uh out of five so it was very well received like <laughs> you know like uh there there was multiple people that were happy with it overall legacy I've heard multiple people, even after we have, you know, Godzilla, this film, King of the Monsters, and then Godzilla vs. Kong, there are many people out there that I have talked with either in person or seen online that they still say Kong Skull Island is the best film of the franchise so far. And if I'm talking strictly about how the movie was made and narrative enjoyability getting a decent amount of kaiju action and all of that i'm not gonna lie i would say that kong is this one kong skull island is the best out of the franchise like that's just my personal opinion my favorite out of the franchise is godzilla versus kong just you know for nostalgia reasons and all of that but um <clears throat> Yeah, the film ended up grossing $566 million at the worldwide box office. It had a few tie-ins and stuff like that. Um, there was a four-issue graphic novel, which I have the single issues, but not the collected version. And unfortunately, I did not jump on the collected version fast enough. And it has now become a collector's item. And to get the trade paperback graphic novel version of that story, you're going to pay pretty high dollar for it. But I do have the four single issues for this and it's called Skull Island, The Birth of Kong, and it serves as a prequel slash sequel to this film. There was also a novelization of the film that was written by Tim Leban, who is one of my favorite like sci-fi um horror authors and all of that kind of stuff. I have multiple books uh that's done by him. He's done a number of uh the Alien and Predator um novels and stuff like that i'm a big fan of that guy so i was pretty happy to see that he was going to be helming the novelization to this film and there's a number of differences in the novelization to this film i'm not going to jump into all of them one day i'll probably just do an episode strictly on the novelization to this film because there are so many differences and all of that kind of stuff but uh yeah uh so it was very well received absolutely made a profit um its budget was like 185 million dollars, coupled with like the marketing, uh, like worldwide marketing and all of that kind of stuff. It was reported that the film needed to make at least 500 million in order to break even, and so it did, and then generated 66 million dollars in profit and all of that. So it was a profitable, profitable film for uh, Warner Brothers, which further led to all right. The audience is going to be, you know, the the 2014 Godzilla film, very successful. This Kong film, very successful. We're building up to a uh, crossover between the two. The buzz is getting started. This is going to be awesome. Let's do it. Now, there's a lot of nods and Easter eggs that's done in this movie, and I'm just going to talk about a few of them right now. Um, whenever they first discover Marlowe, whenever they, uh you know, find the natives and all of that kind of stuff, and he's bringing them back to where he's been living and all of that kind of stuff, we pretty much see a hollowed-out vessel, a ship. And on the side of the ship, it says that the name of the ship is The Wanderer. Now, that is a nod to the original 1932 novelization of the film whereas in the 1933 film the name of the ship was The Venture but in the novelization that came out in 1932 the name of the ship that they used to actually get to Skull Island was The Wanderer. So that was a nod to that. Also a nod to the novelization was whenever Marlowe gets back after the film is over with and we see like camera footage of him Coming home and seeing his wife and meeting his child for the first time. The taxi cab service that he gets out of, just before it drives away, the camera focuses on its door. And it says that it was established in 1932, the year that the novelization to the film came out. So that was a pretty nifty little nod. The octopus scene, whenever we see Kong after his initial big battle with the helicopters and... um. Chapman encounters him and he's scared and he hides from him and like Kong is like poking and prodding at himself and like looking at his wounds and all that kind of stuff. As he's getting a drink, he sees something in the water, reaches out, it's a giant tentacle, he's sitting there having a big battle with it and all that kind of stuff and he ends up killing it. Obviously this is a nod to the 1962 King Kong vs. Godzilla film in which he, his first appearance, he fights a giant octopus. Also, The director of the film has stated that there were various Korean films that he tried to work in that wasn't necessarily an inspiration for the film, but he wanted to do little nods towards them. The Korean film, Old Boy, there is a scene where he eats, the main character eats a live octopus, and there's a scene where he's basically just sitting there blank staring away while he's... Like eating the octopus, and the tentacles are like twitching and like going all over his face and all of that, and there's a nod to that whenever after Kong like eats part of the uh octopus and the tentacles are in his mouth and they're like twitching around and going all over his face and all of that kind of stuff. That's a nod to old boy. We have a scene a line in particular. From Samuel L. Jackson that anybody who was a Samuel L. Jackson fan immediately caught the moment that it happened. Just as they're fixing to take off in the choppers to fly through the storm to get to Skull Island, he says, hold on to your butts. Which is very obviously a nod to one of his most famous lines he's ever uttered from the 1993 film Jurassic Park. And the last little bit that I'm going to share as far as like nods and Easter eggs, this was the first American made Kong film that was made that did not have Kong dying at the end of the film because he died at the end of the original 1933 film. He died at the end of the seventies film. He died at the end of the eighties film and the, um, two Toho films that they did he ended up living but they were not American made so yes this was the first American made oh and the 2005 Peter Jackson film he died obviously unless you play you get the alternate ending in the 2005 video game adaptation of the film there is a way that you can make Kong live at the end of that video game but yes this was the first American made film in which Kong does not die at the end of the film and they kept that Going with uh, a 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong, speaking of Godzilla vs. Kong, I whenever they first announced that they were moving this film from Universal back to Warner Brothers, they didn't say anything specifically about doing Godzilla vs. Kong in the future. And whenever it got announced that no Warner Brothers was still going to helm this particular project, I immediately looked at my brother and said, dude, they're gearing up for the rematch. Like that's why it's sticking with Warner Brothers. Like they're going to do the rematch eventually. And so yes, it did get announced. We are going to be leading to the rematch and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember whenever they announced it, that it was happening the film was way into the future. I believe at the time they were saying 2020 or 2021, but this was like 2015, 2016 that they made that announcement. And so I had been waiting for Godzilla versus Kong for years and years and years. And then like, Oh yeah, we're finally doing it, but it's going to be four year, four or five years from now. And I was like, <laughs> you know, but I was still super pumped. Very, very happy. I was happy that I, uh, that I called it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Uh, And obviously I was not um, disappointed with Godzilla vs. Kong. And um, Mr. Roberts, who is the director of this film, has stated more than once that he would love to revisit this franchise and that he wants to actually do a monster comedy film of Marlo... And Gunpei, I believe, uh, was his name. The Japanese soldier that also crash-landed on Skull Island at the beginning and, uh, and all of that. He wants to do, like, a buddy movie with those two characters, like, in their younger days. While they're on Skull Island, like, you know, talking about, like, how they first encounter a lot of the monsters. Their interactions with Kong, their interactions with the skull Crawlers. Meeting the natives and all that kind of stuff, he has stated numerous times that he would love to do a comedy film on their early days of Skull Island, and I like that that would just be amazing. So. <laughs> but yeah, all right, guys, that pretty much does it for Kong Skull Island. So, huh, two years, man, it's been a heck of a ride. So, all right, guys, i um, going to go ahead and make a uh, couple of announcements real quick. First announcement that I'm going to do is next week, a week from today. Uh, I told you guys it's been a while since I've done like a Godzilla film, so I'm going to do one now. Uh, I'm going to be jumping back to the Heisei era, and I'm going to be doing one of the fan favorites of that era, Godzilla vs. Mothra, The Battle for Earth it's one of my favorites. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to rewatch it and talk about it and all of that kind of stuff. I'm very much looking forward to it. So I hope you guys are looking forward to it. And also I would like to say that, uh, moving forward, I know I had talked about doing this before, but I haven't really done it, um, lately. Yes, I've been on a Power Rangers kick lately. That is, you know, because of jason david frank passing away and i've done some power rangers content and stuff like that i'm really going to be branching out to try and increase the longevity of this podcast and talk about things like ultraman more and common rider mobile suit gundam evangelion and more power rangers stuff and all of that just so i can try and help the podcast move forward a little bit so expect more of that in the future So, all right, guys, check me out on all of my social medias on Facebook. I'm Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. I have a Godzilla Ultima fan page and on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I am Cal, the Kaiju guy. Thank you guys for two years. Thank you guys for nearly 13,000 listens. You guys are the best. Here's to many more years to come of me doing this podcast and all of that. So again, Godzilla vs. Mothra Earth, the Battle for Earth next week. We'll catch you all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.